to sing with you people. <laughs> I, just, I just love singing with my family. You're my family, and I love singing with you. I can turn to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to continue seeing what God has for us in this wonderful book. Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to start from the beginning of the chapter where we were last week, but I'm going to read down to, to verse 14. So Galatians 3, 1 to 14. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous live, shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray together one more time. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the gospel again this morning, that there is good news to be proclaimed. There is good news to be heard. Father, may it never get old in our ears. May it always be fresh. So Father, help us as we look into your word now. May your spirit enlighten us and show us Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you, you've all mostly probably flown in a plane. You know, we live on a small island, so most of you probably have flown in a plane at some point. Right? And you know that when you are driving and you're flying and you're in the same area, you obviously have a very different perspective on that. If you're, if you're coming down to Cork on the M8, you come into the city, it's a very different perspective than flying into Cork from the UK and coming into Cork Airport. You, you, you see things in a different way. It's the same place. It's, it's the same city. Uh, but you see things in a different way. Seeing things from up above gives you perspective on like the buildings and, and the rivers. Uh, and it gives you kind of like the, the bigger scene of what is going on that you can't see if you're just driving down the M8. This is what Paul's doing for the Galatians here in verses 6 to 14. He, he wants them to have perspective. The false teachers that he is, he is rebuking here, the false teachers are kind of holding out the law in front of the Galatians really up in their face. And what Paul wants to do is give them 
the, the truth, the gospel, by helping them to see the big picture of what was happening in the Old Testament. I am unashamedly this morning going to give you the gospel again. So in this church, we, we preach uh, verse by verse through books of the Bible, and in Galatians, you get a lot of gospel. Uh, it'll be a different message, but you're going to get a lot of gospel again this morning, and that's really appropriate because I told you last week that you need Jesus every day. <laughs> so we're going to see so much of that truth again this morning. I want you to see the way Paul goes about arguing for the beauty of the gospel. You see, the gospel is like a gem. It's like, it's like something like this, right? You have a gem. The whole thing itself is beautiful. I've used this illustration before. The whole thing is beautiful. But there's facets, there's sides to a gem that you can focus on. And what Paul is doing in this letter is he's, he's focusing in on a single truth. So the, the good news of the gospel has lots of facets, like the birth of Jesus might be one side. The fact that God came to us to rescue. Uh, one side might be the fact of Jesus' life. He's sinless, a sinless God-man. That's a beautiful facet of the gospel. Maybe one side is, is his death, uh, that he actually died in our place. Or the resurrection might be another side, that, that, that he, has, he has claimed victory over sin and death. But today, we're going to see the glorious, amazing truth of one facet that is called substitution. We, we know this word. We know from like sports and school this whole idea of a, of a substitute. Um, somebody, a player goes off the pitch and another player comes in, that's a substitution. Uh, if you're at school and your teacher's not there, and so another teacher is in place that's a substitute teacher or, a, or a, a sub. Paul wants us to see Jesus, how he steps into our place as our substitute to rescue us and to bless us. Not just to rescue, but also to bless. So often humanity, right, we think we know God and can know God all by ourselves. And often we just think that if we just do the right thing, think about how many people that you talk to, no matter what religion they are, will just say, if I just do the right thing, I'm okay in the end. But the gospel teaches that we need a substitute who knows God for us and who is doing the right thing on our behalf because I can't do the right thing on my own. So this morning, I want you to trust I want you to trust that Jesus died in your place to bring you into his family. That he died in your place to rescue you from the curse of the law. And that he died in your place to bless you with his spirit. Are you blessed this morning or are you cursed? It's a pretty important question to know the answer to. Am I cursed this morning or am I blessed? I want to show you three important realities that Christ's death accomplishes for those who believe the gospel. So the first one, trust that Christ's death makes you family. This is, this is verses 6 to 9 here. Look at verses 6 to 9. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Who are the sons of Abraham? Well, the scripture just told us it's those who believe. 
those of faith. The family of Abraham is bound together by faith, not biology. Faith, not works. That is what Paul is teaching in this chapter. We saw that a lot last week. Instead of using the experience of the Galatians, though, remember, he, he uses the, that last week we saw that he, the experience of, of receiving the Spirit, and that was by faith. This time, he wants to use the Scriptures. And if you remember, the only Scriptures that they would have had in the first century is the Old Testament, because the New Testament's being written. Paul's writing this book to the Galatians, and now it's part of our New Testament. They didn't have that back then. They didn't have all of the letters of the New Testament that we have. So Paul is quoting here from the Old Testament. He's quoting from, from Genesis 15. And it's, Genesis 15 is, is all about Abraham. Remember, Abraham was, was a man that God called from, from one country into another country. And Abraham listened. And, and, and he went. Uh, he's the father of the Jewish nation. And God makes promises to Abraham. And because Abraham believes God, he is counted as righteous. Paul showing them that faith has always been how God justifies. The only thing Abraham did to be justified, to be made right, to be not guilty before God, is to believe God. Again, we saw that last week. Experience like I said, has told the Galatians that faith has rescued them. But now Paul wants them to see from the Scripture that faith rescues them. Only faith. God has always rescued his people by faith. So the law, right, the law never, never has justified anyone. The law has never made anyone right in the eyes of God. No one has ever been declared not guilty because of the law. Not once. In fact, if you look further down in verses 8 and 9, this is where he takes them. In the scripture, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Do you notice how Paul speaks of the scriptures here? I love it. He speaks of the scriptures as a person. The scripture foreseeing. The, the scripture preached. And for Paul, in Paul's mind, you can't separate the, the words of scripture and the words of God. It's, it's one and the same for him. And what the scriptures say is incredible. The scriptures say that all the way back in Genesis, all the way back to Genesis 15, the gospel was preached to Abraham. And how was it preached? Through a promise through a promise that in Abraham all the nations would be blessed. For centuries, for centuries the Jewish leaders were not understanding who the true, true children of Abraham were. The true children of Abraham are those of faith, not because you've been born into a Jewish family. Those that believe God are the family of Abraham, the family of God, those that receive the blessing that was promised to Abraham. The Judaizers, that's the fancy word for those, those people that were the false teachers trying to get these Christians to act like Jews. Remember, the Galatians weren't Jewish people. They were Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And these Judaizers wanted them to act like they were in Judaism. They wanted to act like they were Jews. 
They had to follow Jewish law to be children of Abraham and therefore children of God. But these false teachers are wrong. That's why they're false teachers. They're wrong. Paul is basically saying to them, hear me, hear me. The father of the Jews, Abraham, would agree with me. The blessing of Abraham is not for those who are circumcised. It's for those who believe. In Abraham shall all the nations be blessed. Well, how are they blessed? How are they blessed? Well, look at verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This blessing is not earned. It is by faith. Now, remember, if you're not familiar with, with, with the timeline of the Old Testament, that's okay. Abraham receives this promise. He believes God, and he's counted as righteous. He's, he's justified. That happens before circumcision ever enters into the life and scene of Abraham. He is counted as righteous before he's ever circumcised. So Abraham didn't earn his righteousness by being circumcised. Like, it, like the scripture's clear on that. The timeline's clear on that. He was already righteous in the eyes of God before he was circumcised. His righteousness was by grace through faith. Abraham is blessed because Jesus died. Abraham is given a big family because Jesus died. Abraham can trust God because Jesus died. But you say, well, Abraham lived way before Jesus. How, how can the death of Jesus do anything for him? Because Jesus is the substitute for Abraham. Just like if you trust in God through Christ, he's your substitute. Jesus is the substitute for anyone who's ever been made righteous. Abraham didn't merit anything from God. Christ is his merit, just like he's my merit. Children who are adopted don't merit the inheritance of their parents, right? They don't earn that just because they're adopted into a family. They were outside the family, and then something, by an act of love of the parents, they adopt this child, they bring them in to be a part of the family, and then suddenly... All the rights that are associated with being in that family are that child's. Verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the children of Abraham. You cannot force yourself into God's family. Righteousness is not merited. You cannot pay for it. It is given by faith. The Galatians saw that they had received the Spirit. We saw that last week. In the first part of the chapter, they had received the Spirit by faith, and they were a part of God's family. That's what they knew. Paul wants the Galatians also to see from Scripture that it is faith that blesses them, just like it was faith that blessed Abraham. Trust that Christ's death makes you family. It is Christ's death that makes you family. Not by doing the right thing, but by believing in the true Savior. You can, can't. You can't get kicked out of a family. You're either in the family or you're not. Because we live in a broken and messy world, yeah, sometimes it might feel like you're kicked out of the family, but you're still part of the family. Like it or not. But with God's family, with God as Father, it's glorious. Christ's death makes you family. This is the first thing that Paul wants these Galatians and us by the Spirit, to see that Christ's death makes you family and his death alone. Secondly, 
Trust that Christ's death breaks the law's curse. Look at verses 10 to 12. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Paul's laying out two paths here. Two paths. He's already talked about the the path of faith. Now he's going to talk about the other path. It's the path of law. These works of the law that he's talking about, these are the commands that God has given to people of Israel to show how to live in holiness. They are the very laws that Paul himself would have been proudly attempting to obey prior to coming to Christ. He, he, he told, back to Galatians 1, Galatians 1, he, he said, this is what he's talking about himself, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He wanted so bad to be a good Jew. And he was probably one of the best, according to the law. But when the Lord Jesus invaded his life, Paul saw the truth of Christ's death for the first time. And he saw that all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And he proves this again by using the Old Testament. He's quoting Deuteronomy when he says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. He's saying the Old Testament says you're cursed if you don't do every single thing. All Paul was trying to do before he became a Christian was to rely on the law. And now it's a curse? Well, it's always been a curse. Paul just was misunderstanding. Again, you can drive into Cork or you can fly into Cork. Paul's trying to show them, look, this is is the big picture here. The, The law has always been a curse. Paul is just helping the Galatians see that 50,000-foot view of what God's doing. Paul is saying the law places an unbearable burden upon the person who tries to keep it. The law places you in chains. That is why in verse 11, look at verse 11. He says, it is evident, it's obvious that no one is justified before God by the law. To be justified by the law, you have to be perfect. You are not perfect. Sorry to burst your bubble. You are not perfect. So the law enslaves you. Under the law, you are cursed. You're cursed. He quotes the Old Testament again in verse 12. He's just using the scriptures to prove his point here. Verse 12 says, But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. That's a quote from Leviticus 18. Saying the law is not of faith is not saying that the law is pointless. Okay? The law is beautiful. The the law is right and good. The The law would be heaven on earth if we all kept it. If we all obeyed the law perfectly, we'd have this joy-filled life all the time. Think about it. If you never lied, you didn't murder, you weren't coveting anybody else's, all these things that you can think about in God's law, if we did them all the time, that'd be a pretty sweet place to live. I'd like to live a place like that. 
The law is beautiful. The law itself is not a curse. The law is a reflection of God's holiness. Relying on the law, relying on the law is a curse because it is not of faith. The law is about what you are doing, not about what Christ has done. If you are relying on the works of the law, you're basically saying this. This is what you're saying. I will do them and live by them and never, ever break them. I solemnly swear that I will do this, and if I don't, then I welcome the curse that's upon me. Relying on the law is relying on yourself to keep it. This is a curse because you cannot keep the law. That's what Paul is trying to show them. The law demands to be kept, and you can't do it, and neither can I. If you trust the law, you are cursed because you are doomed to fail. Why would you trust something that dooms you to fail? And that's where you see he starts the chapter. Oh, foolish Galatians. Why would you trust something that has doomed you to fail? This makes us ask the question, how did any of the Jews in the Old Testament escape the curse then? If the law was there, how did they escape this curse of relying on the law? If they were supposed to keep the law, and if they didn't, they were cursed, well, how did any of them survive? Were they all just condemned? And the answer to that question is no. And it's because of sacrifice. God knew that no one could keep the law. So he provided a means of atonement. Atonement is an offering meant to make peace with God. Because God is just, our sin requires atonement. Because God is perfect, we need atonement to bridge that gap of separation that our sin creates with God. Reconciliation is another word you could think of. If, if you are reconciled to a friend who you've fallen out with, you've made peace with him or her. Atonement must be made. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were constantly making animal sacrifices. You see the blood of animals all over the Old Testament. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice to atone for their sin. But those sacrifices were always, always a picture of the death of Jesus. We, we've, we learned this when we're studying Hebrews on, on Friday night. And I unashamedly plug Friday nights. Come, study the Bible with us. It, it, is, it is an amazing time to talk through the scriptures and to see who God is more and all these rich truths. We also learn in, he, in Hebrews that, that the blood of those animal sacrifices can never, ever, ever take away sin. Not a single drop of animal blood can take away your sin. The one, the one who is anticipated by those animal sacrifices has arrived in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you rely on the works of the law, you are not trusting in the atoning work of Jesus. You are believing that you can do it. That is not the way of Abraham. And that's what Paul wants the Galatians to see. That's not what the father of the Jews 
believed. And that will not break the curse of the law. If you're a believer here this morning, think about what happens if we live like we have to break the curse ourselves. So if you're trusting Jesus this morning, just think about what but living by the law does in our relationships. So if you're living by the law, you're depending on your own record, your achievement. You're looking at the case study of your life. It will force you to compare yourself to others. That's what living according to the law will do for Christians. You have to compare yourself to others. It'll make it really hard for you to receive criticism or correction. It will prevent you from rejoicing in the victory and well-being of others. You, you will do this because, sadly, you want to be ahead of your brother or sister in the race. So you compare yourself. And it's really hard to rejoice when this person's doing a really great job or when you see their gifts shine because, oh, that makes them look better than me. Relying on the, all, the law will also make you boast in yourself. <laughs> Look what I did. It'll make you talk about yourself all the time. It'll make you be dishonest about your sin. You do this because you have to convince yourself that you are ahead of your brother or sister. Do you see how this kills unity and community? How can I strive for unity and community if I'm constantly wondering where I am in the race as compared to the person next to me. Trust that Christ breaks the curse of the law. For those of you that haven't trusted Christ here this morning, living by the law, whether that be the law of God or a law that you have made for yourself, and yes, you create a law for yourself, you have decided how you should live and why you should live that way, Whatever law you are following, it is a curse. Because you will fail. You will fail. Even at the laws that you make for yourself that you think you can keep, you will fail. And who will atone for it? Who is going to atone for that? I, I plead with you. Trust that Christ's death breaks the curse of the law. Find freedom in Jesus, freedom from the law, freedom from sin, freedom from the curse that enslaves you. You literally cannot do enough. You cannot do the right things. You cannot escape the curse if you're relying on your own works. The law is not of faith. You need a savior. You need a savior. And the savior is highlighted in this third reality from these verses. Trust that Christ's death blesses you with his spirit. Look at verses 13 and 14. This is glorious. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it was written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Paul, Paul is, culminates this section by proclaiming clearly the truth of substitution. Remember from last week, Paul is undoing the bewitchment that 
he writes about in verse 1. He's been walking them through an argument from Scripture. And what is he arguing? What does he want them to see? He's arguing that the Galatians do not need to keep any laws to be in the family of God. Why is that possible? Why is that possible? How can our law-breaking be overlooked by God? It can't be. God is just. God is perfect. God is holy. All sin creates an eternal separation between us and God. So what's, what's Paul on about then? What truth is he trying to bring the Galatians back to? He wants them to remember there is someone who has taken their punishment. This is the gospel. There is someone who has stepped into the wrath of God on their behalf. There is someone who has become their substitute. There is someone who has taken the curse of the law upon himself. He wants them to trust that Jesus and Jesus alone has atoned for their sin. Paul says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This is what, this is what theologians call substitutionary atonement. Your sin is atoned for. Remember, an atonement is a sacrifice, right, to, to make things right with God. So your sin is atoned for by someone else. Your curse is taken by someone else. Your punishment is absorbed by someone else. You deserve the curse of the law. You deserve it. You deserve the wrath of God. You deserve the fullness of death. And so do I. But Jesus takes this upon himself. Substitutionary atonement is what the Israelites practiced for centuries with bulls and goats. The bull would die in their place. The blood was spilt instead of their own blood. But that blood only pointed to the future. It always pointed to the future. That blood pointed to perfect blood that would one day come. In the next chapter, chapter 4, Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son to redeem those who are under law so that we might receive adoption as sons. At the perfect time, the perfect blood came. Christ became a curse for you so that you could receive the blessing of Abraham. Once again, he's going back to the Old Testament in verse 13. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 21. He says, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The enemies of God, they would sometimes be, they'd be killed and they would be hung on a tree to show that the curse of God was upon them. Paul, Paul's drawing the connecting line for us. That happened then, the cross happened now. The God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, died the death that you deserve. He paid the penalty for sin that was reserved for you. And he was treated like the enemy of God, his body hanging on a tree. Jesus took your rejection so that you could receive the blessing of Abraham. This is what verse 14 says. Look again. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christ became a curse for you. So that, you see in verse 14, so that. 
It tells us why. Why did he become a curse? That the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. What's that blessing? What's the blessing that he's talking about? Receiving the promised spirit through faith. That's what verse 14 says. Paul brings the circle full around for us. Galatians, you received the Spirit by faith. You didn't work for the Spirit. Christ worked. Christ labored. Christ died. Christ became a curse so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. You deserve to be hung on a tree. You deserve the curse of God. You need atonement, and I need atonement. And Jesus has become your substitute for atonement. He is for you. He is for you. He is not against you. There is a title for Satan in Revelation 12. He is called the accuser of the brethren. He he accuses the brothers and the sisters. He, He loves to make charges against you. He loves to tell you that you have done something wrong, to accuse you. He loves to condemn you. He's the accuser of the brethren. But dear church family, if you have received the Spirit by faith, the blessing of Abraham, Satan has nothing to accuse you of. Does that mean that Christians can do no wrong? (laughs) Of course not. Not at all. It means that if you are really trusting in the death of Jesus, to atone for your sin, you are not condemned. You will do wrong. You will sin. But brother and sister, you have an advocate. You have an advocate. 1 John 2 says this, listen. My little children, John writes, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He doesn't want them to sin, but... But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Do you know what an advocate is? An advocate is someone who publicly supports you, someone who cheers you on, someone who champions your cause. Jesus supports you. He he upholds his record as your record. He promotes you as righteous. He's your defense lawyer. When Satan accuses you of being guilty, he says, no, she is not guilty. When Satan tells you that you are cursed by your behavior, your thoughts, and your words, Jesus says, no, I took that curse. When Satan shames you and condemns you for your past, Jesus says, stop, I bore their shame. What Paul is saying What Paul is saying is why would you take the curse when the blessing is right in front of you? Why would you take the curse of relying on something that you are doomed to fail in when the blessing is right there? The blessing of his spirit indwelling you and making you more like Jesus. Don't believe the lies the enemy tells you. You are loved. Through Christ's death, by faith, you have the blessing promised to Abraham. This is the full view of the scripture. This is the the coming into cork 
on the plain. And you see the whole thing there. This is what the false teachers were missing. Let's be a church that isn't afraid to confess boldly and loudly with deep conviction the sweetness of Christ's death. The glory that he became a curse for us. That he is our substitute. And he is doing, and in doing, he brought the blessing of the Spirit to us. That we might actually know him forever and live with him forever and be like him forever. Let's be that church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that we have a substitute in the Lord Jesus. We have an advocate. We thank you that when the accuser of the brethren comes and he does all the time and he blames us for things and he points fingers at us, we have the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for him that he stands in the gap and he says, I took that curse and they are not guilty. Father, help us to live like that. Help me to live like that. Build our unity. Build our community here. Of a people who have no need to compare because we rest fully in the work of Jesus. Do that, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.